All right. Welcome back to Journalistic Integrity. Got a jam-packed all-NFL show for this Tuesday podcast episode. Going to recap the Ravens' comeback win on Monday Night Football in a couple minutes. Get into the big Sunday night Chiefs collapse against the Bills. Do a little Patriots talk and then a couple other NFL things at the end. But first, let's start with the breaking news from Monday night. And it kind of broke during the Monday night football game, which was kind of strange timing. But more emails, bad emails from John Gruden leaked. And he was forced to resign as head coach from the Las Vegas Raiders. And this is an outcome I thought was going to happen even after the first email. And Booger pointed this out during the Monday night football pregame. You can't have end racism and all these improve, let's help each other out, social movements. You can't have all that stuff, all these slogans in the NFL and then retain one of your big head coaches. There's only 32 of them in the NFL have that stuff, despite how long ago it happened. And I'm not a big, hey, let's dig into what people said 10 years ago kind of guy. But this instance is a little different, A, because it wasn't like John Gruden. It wasn't like John Gruden is, you know, 28 years old and 10 years ago he was 18 young and, and said some stupid stuff he was 48 10 years ago and it was also multiple things and so this is different than some of the other stuff that we see and we're like uh, you know do we really want to cancel people from some something they said when they were you know 15 years old this was different than that and this was a move they had to make and the NFL is strange so the NFL wanted him gone after the first email and it seemed from the reports I've read, they were pretty upset that he coached on Sunday. But for whatever reason, maybe it was legal reasons, the NFL did not want to be the entity that suspended John Gruden. They wanted the Raiders to fire him or work out a resignation, something like that. And so after he coached on Sunday, they had more emails that were brought to light. And they gave them to Mark Davis, the owner, and were like, hey, check this out, kind of nudging him. Hey, you should you should, we need you to fire this guy. And it didn't seem like Mark Davis and the Raiders were getting the memo and taking the action that the NFL wanted them to and, and let him coach on Sunday. But <clears throat> Monday Night Football, which strangely, ironically, John Gruden was a part of the main analyst on the Monday Night Football broadcast during a lot of these emails. He worked at ESPN while a lot of these emails were sent, which is an interesting wrinkle in this as ESPN is going to be on the forefront covering this issue today and the rest of the week. Big break for Urban Meyer, who had been under the gun, under the microscope the past couple weeks after the video came out on him. He's going to seem like old news after this story, and, and so he's going to be out of the public spotlight uh, for at least another week or so. And so that's it for John Gruden's coaching career. Definitely in the NFL. You never know if, you know, five, ten years down the road, some small college will try and sneak him in the building and, uh, and be their coach. But definitely done in the NFL. Super Bowl winning coach comes to an end. Long career. And, you know, boom, finished. So pretty crazy story and how quickly all this happened. Within 60 minutes of the New York Times article coming out, the Raiders and Gruden had agreed to part ways. So no more John Gruden. Looks like their special teams coordinator is moving in to be their head coach. But let's shift to the other thing that happened on Monday night. They played a football game, Monday night football. Ravens hosted the Indianapolis Colts, and 
the Colts were the more desperate team, and they started out that way. But the focus on this game and what I got from it was the Ravens are one of those teams where you can outplay them for quarters, for three quarters, three and a half quarters. But throughout a game, they make these little plays that turn out actually being big plays, but they make these plays that give them the ability to come back in the end. So the Colts were completely outplaying the Ravens in the first quarter, first half. Colts are up 7-0 in the red zone, and the Ravens get a strip sack fumble. There's another third down where the Colts are driving, getting into field goal range, and the Ravens sack them, and they're out of field goal range. And it's these little spots where the Colts would drive down the field, 50-yard drive, and then the Ravens would come up with a big play and limit the damage from the Colts. And this team, it's just, the Ravens are like a cockroach. You cannot kill the Ravens. They're never out of it. It looked like they are out of it. It looked like they are out of it at the end of the drive, end of one of the Colts drives, end of the fourth quarter. Colts are up seven, methodical drive. They get these big third downs. They're running the clock, and they get this short field goal attempt to make it a two-possession game, to make it nearly impossible for the Ravens to come back. Clayus Campbell breaks through the line, does this skinny move where he turns sideways, slides between two of the tackles, gets a paw up there and blocks it. And at that point, you're like, oh, great. You know, the Ravens, they're coming back. They got this momentum. They start going into hyperspeed. And we see that with offenses all the time. And I always wonder why teams don't do it more when an offense is struggling. Whenever you go into hyperspeed or two-minute drill, the offense normally starts clicking. You could see the Colts defense got tired. Ravens drive down the field. They get the touchdown. Andrews, two-point conversion, tie game. But Colts get the ball back, and Carson Wentz played well and drove him down, got him into field goal range, and Blankenship, and he continued the field goal woes that plagued all kickers really on Sunday and wide left. And so they go into overtime, and I just knew I called it out the coin toss. Like, there's no way the Ravens don't win the coin toss. They had all the momentum, all the energy, and Justin Tucker, not only really good kicker, calls heads, nails it. Ravens drive right down the field. Lamar Jackson was amazing. And he started off a little, you know, bad fumble on the goal line. Um, but then he, he was lights out fourth quarter overtime him athletically. I don't, I feel like we still do not appreciate his athleticism and his running as much as we should. Some of his moves where he's making these crazy athletic safeties and cornerbacks completely miss him, not even touch him. Like if they were playing flag football, he would still be able to get past them and catapulted himself into the top of the MVP race. Uh, Josh Allen's up there, and uh, just a really special Lamar Jackson performance. When it looked like the Ravens were done, and Lamar pulls him up, makes the big plays, big runs, and they did just enough to win. And they came out sluggish. They didn't, you know, the Colts needed this game, and you could tell from the start they were the more urgent team, but the Ravens come back, and props to Lamar Jackson, because that, that was a heck of a performance from him. All right, let's shift to the other primetime game, Sunday night rematch of the 2020 AFC Championship game between the Bills and the Chiefs, and this time the Bills take care of the Chiefs, winning 38-20 in Arrowhead, and it was one of those games where 
I've seen every snap, every play, every Chiefs game for many years. And I could just tell from the start where there are a couple mistakes early on. And it was just one of those things where, okay, this is, we're not buttoned up. We haven't fine tuned a lot of the areas, the ball security, tackling. A lot of that stuff has not been fixed in the in the past six days from our previous game. And that's how it's going to be. And so it starts with a Tyreek Hill drop on our opening drive on a third down, which resulted in a field goal attempt. And any time the Chiefs kick a field goal, it's a win for the defense because the, the other team, because they know they're going to be able to drive and score touchdowns against the Chiefs defense, which is more than 2x a field goal, right? Seven versus three points. It's a big difference touchdown and a field goal and so that happened then we fumble on the kick return of our second possession which didn't result in any Bills points it was actually a good job by the Chiefs defense and the Chiefs defense actually got a couple big stops uh, we'll get to that in a sec but so we go drop pass fumble and then and then we saw the rest of the game Tyreek Hill drops another one results in a pick six and it was a mess and the Chiefs dropped to two and three Patrick Mahomes wasn't very good and this is something that's changed and, and what the defenses are doing against the Chiefs is very similar to what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did in the Super Bowl eight months ago. I have no idea why the Chiefs still haven't figured it out. You would think if you're the Chiefs on the Chiefs coaching staff, hey, this defense crushed us. This is our worst offensive performance of the year in the Super Bowl. Let's figure out how to beat this type of defense. And basically what the defense is, is cover two, two safeties back. So that's saying, hey, let's not let Tyreek Hill beat us deep so they don't get a big 60-yard chunk against us. Second thing they do, they only rush four guys. So they're not bringing five, six guys and leaving their cornerbacks in secondary one-on-one -on -one with the really talented Chiefs skill players like Tyreek Hill, like Travis Kelsey, like a running back coming out of the backfield. So they're rushing four. They've got two deep. And for the most part, they play zone. Then on some third and shorts, they'll play more man and, and bring an extra guy. But that's the main defense of what they're doing. And the goal of that is to prevent the deep plays and make the Chiefs have these 10, 15 play drives to score touchdown. And what makes this strategy so good is you make Mahomes be more patient. You don't give up those deep, plays that result in an immediate touchdown like we saw against the Eagles where the Eagles are playing man-to-man -man for some reason and the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill we saw he had the biggest game of his of the season because the Eagles were were playing man and they're blitzing a little bit more um, schematically that that made no sense I'm not sure what the Eagles were doing but in this game they're going zone and they're making you do little bite-sized chunks for an offense that likes these deep plays and we hear it with the New England Patriots defense take away what the team's really good at, make them play left-handed. Well, this is what teams are doing with the Chiefs. They're making them play in a way that they're not comfortable with. The Chiefs love doing these scramble out right with Mahomes and then Tyreek Hill is coming on this deep cross or throw deep to him or Travis Kelsey or a running back wheel route, all these deep plays, and those are being taken away. And so Mahomes hasn't seen these types of defenses his first three years in the league. And so... They've got to do these short chunks. And so when they start getting behind, one of the ways to beat these defenses with two safeties back 
is to run the ball because they've got less guys by the line instead of one safety deep. It's too deep, so you got more of a numbers advantage. But when you're down 14-3, to three, when you're down two possessions and you've got Mahomes and Tyreek, you start wanting to throw it and you get impatient. And that gets you out of sync and you're playing to the strength of the Bills. That's another reason why kicking a field goal is such a bad move or such a loss is because you kind of already know you're going to be losing after each team gets the first possession. Second thing, when you've got to have these 12-play drives, it opens up a bigger opportunity and window for these plays that end drives, these drive killers. For example, a holding call, a sack, intentional grounding. We saw an offensive pass interference, anything like that, even a run for like a loss of three yards. All of those plays are more likely to happen when you've got these longer drives. There's more room for error than if it's a five-play, 80-yard drive where you had a you know a 55-yard pass play. And so all of that stuff is starting to add up, and all of these minor details that the Chiefs aren't getting right, holding calls, offensive pass interference, sacks, negative run plays, all of those are starting to matter more because they can't snap their fingers, hit a deep play, and make up for all of those mistakes. And so teams are catching on to Mahomes and the media, everyone, I mean, we all kind of anointed the Chiefs as the next dynasty, the next Patriots, the next Chicago Bulls or the next Warriors type team. And it was too early. I mean, the team only won one Super Bowl and could have easily lost to the 49ers in the Super Bowl. And, you know, the Chiefs, they've got to fix some things. It doesn't look like they're going to get things right uh, five games in. There haven't been any adjustments. We didn't have Chris Jones. That would have helped a little bit, but you can't. This defense is so bad and puts so much pressure on the offense to be perfect. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like the Chiefs will be able to get this completely right. And let me go over some numbers on the Chiefs defense. So EPA, that is expected points added. That's like the new hip metric the past couple years. And basically what that is, is you have before play or before drive, let's say you start on the 50, there's an expected points per drive for first and 10 starting on the 50. And that's about two and a half points on average is what a team scores. So if you kick a field goal, that's three points minus a 2.5, your EPA is plus 0.5. And if you go zero, it would be negative 2.5. And so you can also do that on a per play basis where it's first and 10, you're running the ball, and on average, let's say this is a made-up number, the expected points average on a run on first and 10 from your own 20 is 0.2. And you run it eight yards. And so the expected points added on that rush was actually above average, and it was 0.4. And so you take the difference, and it's a plus 0.2 average. A bunch of people in Ivy League schools, they made up all these stats. They went through the data of the past couple of decades in the NFL and saw and researched how what plays matter the most and in the time of the game like five yards isn't created equal if it's like first and 10 on your own 20 and you have a five yard rush that's a lot less significant than it's if it's third and five on the opponent's 40 and if you get it you're in field goal range if you don't get it you're gonna punt so it takes all that stuff into account and basically you just trust that all those ivy league people they know what they're doing, and then you take their word for it that it is a good stat. And everyone seems to accept it, so um, I just want to give a little background on that because I first started hearing that 
stat, and I was like, okay, what is this EPA thing? So the Chiefs have the worst EPA in rush defense. It's actually double the amount of the second to last EPA in rush and the third worst in passing EPA. And offensively, even though it's weird because when I watch them, we get stuck in the red zone, we kick a lot of field goals, still first in offensively EPA. And let's just go to the Chiefs offense right now. The Chiefs didn't play well in the first half. We got lucky with the lightning break, change of momentum, reset, come out, and it's almost like a separate game. I think there's 75 minutes in between the first and second half. And we come out, the defense gets a quick three and out a minute in. Offense does nothing. Defense gets another three and out. So we come out, we throw back-to-back three and outs defensively. And these were moments in years past, the past couple years, where we would have taken advantage of that and scored touchdown, two touchdowns after those two three and outs from our defense. And we were down 11 at the time. So two touchdowns in years past, we would have turned that 11-point deficit into a three-point lead. We saw that in the playoffs two years ago when we won the Super Bowl, down 24 at halftime to the Texans, um, down in every single game in those playoffs. And we, every single time, came back and even came back and won in the Super Bowl too. But the offense, without those big plays, it's really been a struggle. And Mahomes needs to be a little more patient and drop passes. There's just all these small things the Chiefs don't have figured out right now. And... If you're Brett Veach, the GM of the Chiefs, you're looking at the roster and you're like, well, I went out and got good players. I got Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, drafted Chris Jones, one of the best defensive linemen in the league, drafted all these weapons on offense, Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, all these guys. They've got good players and it's just not working. And at some point you got to look at the coaches and it starts with Andy Reid and he won the Super Bowl, and when you, win, when you win a Super Bowl, especially with the current team that you won it with, you've got protection because you did it, you won it. I mean, we saw it in NBA, um, a much more drastic case, but Rick Carlisle, the coach for the Mavericks, they won the NBA championship in 2010, 2011, I believe, against the Heat, and then he goes a decade without winning a playoff series. But because of winning a championship, it holds so much weight for coach. You're now a championship coach. You know how to do it. And Andy Reid has that now. He has that protection. And it's just when when you've got a team that's making so many minor, small, detailed mistakes, drop passes, fumbles, getting out-schemed, cover two, confusing, not the right play calls, not putting Tyree Kill in open space, not being able to get the Travis Kelsey the ball, that stuff – normally doesn't happen with well-coached teams. And I think the Chiefs have gotten out-coached several games against Stefanski Sunday night and Brandon Staley Chargers. All three of their losses, I thought the opposing coaches had their teams much more prepared, play calls on fourth down. It's just always their, their quarterbacks, once they hit their drop, they know immediately where to go. Guys are open and the Chiefs with more talent stuff, it just seems more difficult for the Chiefs to move the football. All right, let's shift to another struggling AFC team. That's the New England Patriots. They avoided a scare in Houston against the Davis Mills-led Texans down multiple scores in the second half. End up coming back 
and beating the Texans. Davis Mills played really well, really carved up the Patriots defense in the first half, threw for three touchdowns. And thinking about the Patriots, you look at them five games in and their losses against the Dolphins team, New Orleans, and Tampa Bay. Their only wins this year against Houston and the Jets. So two of the worst teams in the league. And I think the Patriots are the equivalent in the NFL to the San Antonio Spurs. So Tom Brady would be the Tim Duncan. He leaves. But you've got the legendary coach that stays back. And the question is, and we've all heard this a billion times on sports radio, is it Belichick? Is it Brady? Who was the driving force in the dynasty? Brady goes off wins the Super Bowl. I think it's pretty obvious at this point that if it was some sort of seesaw, it would lean towards Brady, whether it's 60%, 75%, I don't know. But the Patriots just aren't very good. Like the Spurs when Duncan left and Popovich is there, he's got to groom his own talent, make trades, all that stuff. It hasn't worked out. The Spurs have been pretty bad ever since Duncan and, and Ginobili and Parker left. And right now the Patriots, they just aren't very good. Their defensive secondary isn't very good. It seems like they had their best possible game against the Bucs. And we saw that game. We saw how close they were to beating the Bucs. And we're like, okay, this team might they might be they might be able to sneak into the playoffs, do some damage. They've got Judon on the defensive line, who's pretty good. McCourney, they still have got some guys that can play. And it's not to say they don't anymore. I still think Judon is is really good. But this team, the weapons aren't there. They can't move the ball. Like we were saying with the Chiefs earlier, they can't have any of those big chunk plays because of the lack of talent. And I said it with the Chiefs, the longer the drive, the more chance for drive killers, the offensive holding, the sack, a negative run play, anything like that. It's really hard to go against an NFL defense. They get paid too, the guys on defense. It's really hard to have a 15 play drive and have, you know, 11 out of the 15 be like successful plays, you know, hitting at 75%. And, and that's something that's gotten in the, in the Patriots way is having to have these long drives in the defense. Defensively, they're not terrible. They're 11th in EPA, but when you look at offense, 26th and drop back EPA, 29th overall offensively EPA per play. So that's just rates each play pass or run. And this team just isn't good. The Patriots just aren't very good this year. And we've got to accept that. They might get a scrappy win here or there. But the, the key for them to win is to really muck up a game like they did against the Bucks. And they're like a 7-10, feel like a 7-10, 8-9 team. And their next five games, they've got Dallas, Chargers, Carolina, and Cleveland. Four out of the next five games. So right now they're 2-3. and three. They could easily be 3-7 and seven through 10 games. And, they, and that's without playing either of their two games against the Bills. So they'll have two games against the Bills, their final seven games. So I think it's time we write off the Patriots. All right, I wanted to wrap up with a couple play-calling things that happened at the end of games. And let's start in what was probably the game of the day on Sunday. Cleveland Browns against the Chargers. Chargers win 47-42. But... With three minutes left in the game, Cleveland was winning 42-41, benefiting from a Chargers missed extra point. Three minutes left, they have the ball on their own 20. And 
they run the ball, incomplete pass. And so it's third and eight. And if you're Stefanski, if you're the Browns, you get a first down or two, the game's over, right? So there's three minutes left. Running the ball, running clock out on this one play doesn't really do anything. The goal is to get a first down unless you're worried if you throw the ball and Baker throws an interception, makes a mistake, anything like that. But the way the game had gone, the Browns had scored 42 points. They were running up and down the field against the Chargers. So on third and eight, the Browns, instead of going for the first down, they run it up the middle for a couple yards. Chargers get the ball back, score, and then the Browns aren't able to score at the end of the game. And Stefanski, who's normally an aggressive, analytical-type play caller, saw it in week one against the Chiefs, going for it on all these fourth downs. He didn't trust Baker on third and long to throw the ball and get the first down. And not only did I think that was a bad call, I think it says that Stefanski still doesn't completely buy into Baker. Still worried, is there going to be a sack fumble, interception deep in their own territory? Because that's the only reason you wouldn't throw the ball. Because the time is no longer relevant. It's all about getting the first down so you can run more clock off. It's not, hey, we're going to run 40 seconds. So instead of them getting it at three minutes, they get it at 220. That's plenty of time. That, that doesn't make a difference. And so they run the ball. Chargers come back and score. But then Baker gets the ball back with a minute and a half left, no timeouts, down five points. We've seen Rodgers drive it. 50 yards in 30 seconds. Baker Mayfield, minute and a half is a long time. And you get the ball at the 25. You would think you could get the ball to around the 25-yard, drive it 50 yards in 90 seconds, and then get some sort of, not a Hail Mary, but a shortened you know, 30-yard throw in the end zone as time expires. If you've got a guy like Rodgers or Herbert, you would probably guess they would have the ball inside the 10 with a play to score as the timer goes off. But a minute and a half, the first three plays go for 12 yards and they eat up 50 seconds. And that was basically the game there. And then they end up throwing some deep Hail Mary that um, didn't have a chance. And it just shows the difference that some quarterbacks can be good. Solid quarterbacks, good stats. Baker's a good quarterback, but there's an extra level that they are not at, have not reached, that the top tier have. Dak Prescott, Brady, Mahomes, Rodgers, Herbert, all those guys, Kyler Murray, all those guys have where you, where if you're the defending team, if you're rooting for the team on defense going against one of these quarterbacks, you're like, oh my gosh, how are they going to score? Even if they have the ball with no timeouts and 45 seconds left on their own 30-yard line, you're still thinking, okay, you know, if it's Rodgers, all right, there's about to be, you know, a 25-yard in route to Devontae Adams. They're going to spike it. They're going to throw a 15-yard out to Lazard, and then they're going to be on the 15 with 12 seconds left and have two shots at the end zone. But with Baker, he's got the receivers, tight end. He wasn't able to do it, and it was a really poor two-minute drill by Baker, and it was a chance for him to take that extra step. He played well all game, take that extra step, and he didn't do it. We saw a similar thing happen with the Minnesota Vikings against the Lions. This time it was Kirk Cousins on a third down, and they are up seven points against the Lions. A couple minutes left. Instead of throwing for the first down on third and long, they run it, 
and he got stopped, but instead of just getting tackled, he also fumbled. Lions get the ball, they score, and get the two-point conversion, so they're up one. And then Kirk, unlike Baker, with even less time, is able to drive it down. He didn't have a timeout. He's able to drive it down for the game-winning field goal. But that goes back to the third down where they chose to run it. Take the fumble out of the picture. Jordan Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, excuse me, had a huge game. Thielen's good. They were throwing it all over in the first half, and then they just started running it in the second half and started playing so conservative. And on that third and medium third and long, this is not a good Lions defense. And there's no trust in Kirk Cousins to throw for that third down when I think there should have been. And I think that's on the play caller. I think you got to play to win the game. And that almost cost them a game against the Lions, which at that point, if you're the Vikings and you fall to 1-4, your season's about over. Last one was for the Packers, staying in the NFC North. Normally this doesn't happen with the Packers where they get conservative. ton of missed field goals in this game, just going back and forth, miss after miss. We had a doink, uh, another doink, a wide left. We had a flag doink where the Cincy kicker hit the, the flag on the top left of the upright, and the flag was on the left side of the left upright, so it missed. The kicker actually thought it went in. He was jumping around all happy, and you could tell the holder was like, I don't think it went in, but the kicker's like jumping on celebrating, and the, and the uh, holder's like, well, I'm not going to rain on this guy's party. I guess I'll go around with this charade and act like you made the game-winning field goal when in reality uh, we kind of know you missed it. But anyway, it's third down, and this frustrates me so much is relying on a game-winning field goal at the end when you can still go for a touchdown. And so on third down, the Packers in overtime, no time constraints. They decided to kick a, I think it was around 40-yard field goal with Crosby, who missed it. And I'm thinking, you've got Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Why not try and get a first down? Why not try and score a touchdown? Are you that scared, nervous? that something's going to happen, an interception, a sack fumble, something like that. Because um, if that's the case, I mean, how much how much confidence do you have in your offense if, if that's discouraging you from making the right play call and scoring the touchdown? We've seen kickers miss so many kicks this year, especially this past week, where you got to go for the touchdown. You don't know what's going to happen with kickers and um, – Go for the touchdown, Aaron Rodgers. I thought that was pretty bad play calling, especially on a third down where you've got the reigning MVP. Go for the touchdown. If you score a touchdown, it's over. And leaving it up to the kickers, anything can happen. And so those are a few play calls where coaches coaches are making a big difference in this fourth down revolution where coaches are making decisions whether to go for it on fourth, whether to kick the field goal, whether to go for a touchdown at the end of games, how aggressive they're going to be in different situations. And I think the teams with the more aggressive coaches, the smarter coaches, I think they have the ability to create a big gap between a lesser coach and really give their team a big advantage in these types of calls. So that wraps it up for NFL Talk. We'll do college football on Thursday, college football Thursdays. I missed last Thursday. I had one recorded, but I decided not to post it. I was like, eh, I didn't think it was that good. Um, just some Urban Meyer stuff. And you guys have probably heard enough on that but we'll do some college football really exciting past week and then uh, we'll go over some conference stuff how everything's shaking out in college football playoff who needs to to do some work who's still around and then go over those big games from last week the Alabama game the Nebraska game a lot of good football games big past weekend and sports so 
I'll add on some college football on Thursday's podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I'll talk to you guys in a couple days. See ya.